Before we begin today's show, it's that time of year again, fantasy football draft season. And at ESPN, we have some of the best in the business with the likes of Matthew Berry, Stefania Bell, Field Yates, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp. They're the hosts of the wildly popular Fantasy Focus Football Podcast, where every single day, the crew discusses the biggest topics in football from a fantasy perspective. You can check it out wherever you get your podcasts, and while you're there, you can also leave the Hoop Collective a review. We'd love to hear from you. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We are presented by Goodyear. Drive always discovers possibilities. Goodyear, more driven. Very appreciative to Goodyear for bringing the show to you today. And uh, we are recording this on Sunday afternoon, a blessed Whoever thought we would have a, a blessed moment of a real reprieve for months we desired basketball. But we have a little reprieve here, no uh, second play-in game. Um, joining me to talk about the beginning of the playoffs, which start uh, in earnest on Monday, uh, four games a day for at least the next eight days. Um, uh, a bevy of playoff basketball, the likes of which we have never seen. Uh, to talk about us are two West Coast Kevins. Uh, first, let me say hello to Kevin Pelton, who is joining us from Seattle. Hello, Kevin Pelton. Hello. Always good to be back and good to be back with Kevin. Now, you are the type of person who I would suspect might actually watch every dribble or at least try to for a few days. I don't know if I'm going to promise every dribble if things get out of hand in the fourth quarter. But, you know, I've been watching an average of, you know, well over probably eight hours a day of basketball over the wow. last couple of weeks here. And I don't think that's going to change now that they're actually meaningful games, all of them. Well, I'm watching the fourth quarter, if I can say that. And also joining us from Los Angeles is Kevin Arnovitz. Kevin, I don't, I, I suspect you will still be going on your morning swims and your, and your daily Sometimes your semi-daily trips to the farmer's market. Yeah, yeah the, the uh, 10.30 a.m. start is nice because I generally get home from that swim around 10.08. Okay. Um, 1008. Love it. So yesterday, Saturday afternoon, we were uh, treated to um, another excellent high-level basketball game. I felt um, the Trailblazers uh, outlasting the Grizzlies uh, in a, you know, in a, in a game that is in my mind, a playoff game, even though it's Pelton, it's kind of weird that the NBA decided that that game essentially will not, be recorded statistically anywhere. Uh, Yusef Nurkic's 22 points and 21 rebounds will not be put on the record. I don't quite understand that decision, but then on the other hand, I don't understand where it should have been. They already they already were fine with saying that um, the, seat, the the teams that didn't go into the bubble just didn't get to play as many games, and so I I don't know why they just didn't make it a regular season game, but um, it's sort of a, an all time one off in history. But uh, a terrific performance by uh, just a number of guys. Nurkic, obviously, uh, playing the day that he learned his grandmother had passed away, um, which was remarkable. Um, Damian Lillard with another 30-point or more performance. CJ McCollum with a couple of big shots late, and then a bunch of guys for the Grizzlies played well. Um, Pelton, uh, when you look at this situation, uh, what chances do you give the Blazers against the Lakers now that they have gotten the play-in in the eighth seed? 
Yeah, first on the uh, statistical note, perhaps more relevantly for John Morant, weirdly had his career high in a game that is not going to count is his career high. So wow, uh, it's still right. still only thirty going into next season. Apparently, it's a it's a game without a country statistically. But yeah, as far as the Blazers, I I think I'm a little more pessimistic than most people on their chances of carrying this run over in the playoffs against the Lakers for a couple of reasons. I mean, first off, I think a lot of the worry is about how the Lakers played in the seeding games, and you know, I tweeted about this the other day i think our, our former colleague tom haberstrow wrote a piece a couple years ago at nbc sports updating some work he had done previously at espn about how non-predictive the last 10 games of the season tend to be of the playoffs because you know teams are resting players they're you know they're prepping they're you know they're they're looking at their young guys that sort of thing and that's more or less what the lakers have done how they've approached these seeding games with the exception maybe i think of that first seeding game against the clippers they took pretty seriously and then i think from the flip side that also probably colors how we look at the blazers going into this matchup because you know they've alternatively they've either been playing against non-play ultimately non-playoff teams who have been playing very hard or i guess you know brooklyn was a playoff team that was treating that quite seriously in the final seeding game on thursday night that got the blazers into that play-in matchup but they're not a team of the caliber of the lakers and when they have been playing truly playoff caliber teams your dallas's your houston's your boston's those teams haven't necessarily been playing at a playoff level, whereas Portland has had to be at that playoff level from day one because they had no margin for error. So I I think the sample of games we've seen probably flatters the Blazers a little bit, and still their defense has been extraordinarily awful in that mm -hmm. stretch. Mm -hmm. Arnovitz, um, you are to you follow the Blazers pretty closely. Um, you know, Pelton goes to a lot of Blazers games and we're allowed to go to games as well, but. Um, um, I know you have a good feel for for that organization. What do you you feel the same? Um, I I am a believer, or rather a non-believer, in the predictive nature of those last ten games. I mean, every year we do this, uh, and what we've learned about basketball, whether it's LeBron's flipping the switch, whether it's Kawhi's eighty-two practices, that when the lights go on in Game One of the playoffs, everything else is forgotten. It's not to say the rhythm and chemistry aren't important, but. Uh, let us not make too much of, of the final 10 games of the season. Um, they're interesting because when, as currently constituted, they are not unlike this team that got to the Western Conference Finals. Um, I wouldn't say they're identical. Um, Zach Collins is still hurt. Uh, CJ McCollum is playing with a fractured vertebrae. I know. Uh, which, which is insane. Uh, they also have Gary Trent Jr., which, which is nice. So I, I think it'll be more... You know, I remember in 2016, they played the Warriors in the second round when they were the upstart, uh, shouldn't have been their Blazers, uh, who beat the, the, the kind of a falling Clipper team in the first round. And, you know, when it was all over, it was an insanely entertaining series. Most of the games were competitive. And Draymond Green, you know, as a sort of a token of respect to the Blazers said, that didn't feel like a 4-1 series, uh, meaning that it, it was really good that, that, you know, Damien is incredibly dangerous and... Players like Lillard can. Are you really talking randomize. about? Are you talking about last year? No, I'm talking about 2016. Oh, okay. I was because last year it was 4-0, and they said they said the same thing, but I don't know if it, <laughs> it was. Is, I don't know if they meant it. There, there so, has been a common theme in some of the Blazers' playoff series against right. the yeah. Lillard. But that was two years ago, right? Because last year they they were in the. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right, in, the, in the conference finals. Anyway, um, I, I think what's more interesting is you know in looking at the plane, and we just got a taste of it. It's clear to me that the question is not, will the NBA ever implement a play-in tournament at some point? It is, why didn't they do it 15 years ago? 
when you consider just just how compelling it was. All of a sudden, we were caring about teams we shouldn't have cared about. I think what would help the NBA, and especially in the last month and a month and a half in the season, when it's usually the dog days of March and April, is we want tiering, right? We want races for various spots, the race for the top seed, the race to stay out of seven. So the kind of five, six, seven, eight teams jockeying. Then you have sort of the nine, 10, 11, 12. And if we can create this excitement where at different you know, th- uh, thresholds of the standings, there's really intense stuff going on because you you're incentivized to win and not fall back or, 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 you know, I, I think this, it's a really, really good idea that was well executed. Um, and this was just one game. I think it's time to implement this. And one of the silver linings of what is going to be a very difficult period from the NBA in terms of revenue and, and competition is going to be, they're going to try some interesting stuff. And I think this is the first thing they should try and implement permanently that, that seven, eight, nine, 10, three games per conference, six game playoff that they can sell as a product for global distribution. Everybody would be happy. Yeah, I think um, this uh, it, it's a it's a good little uh, foray that they were able to show. Uh, obviously, it's never going to work this way. I mean, I have advocated for there to be a play in tournament where all seven or all eight teams that are on the outs have a chance to win their way in in single elimination. Um, there is I've been talking about that for a decade <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, more uh, vocally in the last couple of years. Um, but there's never been support for it because I think that, you know, if you're Memphis, you don't like the idea of what just happened with the Suns, that the Suns who are in, you know, 13th place or whatever or uh, could could win their way in. Well, I like that idea. I like the idea that the Suns could have gotten hot and gone uh, 4-0 in a little play in a little single elimination series over the course of a, of a week and, and, uh, and gotten in, but whatever, I do think, uh, it does make the, uh, it does make a compelling argument. Um, my thing on the, on the Blazers Lakers series, I, I've been saying for a couple of weeks now that I don't think the Blazers can win the series, but I think it's more about the stress load that they can put on the Lakers. And I just think that had they played the Suns or the Pelicans, or the Grizzlies, teams that were largely um, inexperienced and going to be happy to be there. I don't think they would have been the same test. Uh, I agree with you, Pelton, that just defensively, that they're just they're just not there. Um, they they just are not a good defensive team, and um, you know it's one of the reasons why they <clears throat> had a losing record during the season. Yes, the injuries were a factor, but they also were not a good defensive team. And um, and they were not a good defensive team yesterday at times. They gave 42 points in the third quarter to Memphis, which put them in a position where they you know, they had to fight back in the fourth. And, uh, and you know and and you know that was worrisome. And you could even make the argument that if you're a Lakers fan, that this could be a good thing because the Lakers have been struggling offensively. Now they get to play a soft defensive team that maybe they won't outscore once or twice over the course of six or seven games, and they'll take a loss but that they can get going on offensively and, and, and sort of get their guys into rhythm. You know, maybe playing Portland is a, is a better option than having played Memphis, which has some better, uh, better matchups. You know, the basic thing, who's guarding LeBron? Who's guarding him? It's got to be mellow, right? It's got to be mellow. I mean, do you think that Wenyan Gabriel, who is all of a sudden getting minutes, um, now the, this uh, he's a rookie. He's six nine. They list him at two twenty. He doesn't look like he's two twenty to me. He looks uh, lighter than that. Um, do you think Wenyan Gabriel can? Do you think they can actually put him on LeBron James? I think LeBron would eviscerate him. 
See, um, I think I think he's more likely to end up matching up against Anthony Davis because he's got good length. Yeah. What do you think about him going against Anthony Davis? <laughs> I don't feel a lot better about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the thing. You know, if you looked at you know if you looked at Memphis, you know, uh, they just they have better options out there on the perimeter. I just think that, yeah, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard are, are going to do some damage. I just I don't think they have the defensive person. I mean, look, nobody's had the defensive personnel to stop LeBron, but even to slow down that that those freight trains, I I think that's I think when the rubber meets the road, I think that's where Portland's not going to be able to measure yeah. up. I mean, they they are sort of bereft in that six six to six nine spidery big wing defenders that you need to call on for assignments like this, right? Like Trent is six five, and wow, they're a really good three perimeter lineup when he's in there with, with CJ and Dame. Uh, but as you said, I mean, this is not a neither is a is a is an assignment for Mello, uh, and they just don't have that Aminu kind of guy that that came in very handy. They don't have Trevor Ariza, right? And Ariza, <laughs> that's, that's actually, the guy you know, that they we don't forgot have. about Ariza, right? Like he he's home, yeah. and and yeah. that would be a very useful additive right now because again, they're just sort of there's nobody between kind of six five and then the bigs uh, who who can handle that either with mobility or the length or, or, or frankly just the physicality. I do think it's a bad break for the Lakers that they have to play this level of team as the number one seed. Um, you know, I, I know that comparing East and West is often is often fruitless, but you go look at what the Bucks have. They have a magic team that I assume that they'll make mincemeat of. If they don't, it's probably a problem. Um, uh, you look at the Lakers, they draw a team. I had a story today where I talked about how this was – maybe the most toothless number one seed of all time, because not only do the Lakers have to, you know, not only did this, did the seeding games afford the best team with the most talent, or at least the most talent plus experience, the blend that you need in the playoffs. I mean, you could argue that Memphis might end up having a hell of a lot of talent a year from now, comparably, but playoff experience plus talent, the, the Blazers were the worst option for the Lakers and it, the worst option, prevailed so they have to play that um i talked to a scout who said that there are four or five seed masquerading as an eight um and they lose both home and road and the reason i say both home and road um obviously you play at home it's a huge advantage it's an advantage in all sports especially basketball well the lakers were the best road team in the nba this year partially because they got great support on the road most of the time and partially because LeBron loves playing on the road. He's he's arguably the greatest road performer in NBA history in the playoffs. He he won a road game in 25 consecutive series. No one had ever done that before. Um, he's won two game sevens on the road in his career. Um, you know he's he has talked about how he loves playing on the road in the playoffs more than he likes playing at home. And he's also talked about how it's been difficult being in the bubble. And having the uh, having that lack of emotion to drive him, that that being the antiseptic court is to him worse than being on the road. He'd prefer to be out there on the road. And so not only do they get an unfortunate draw and lose home court advantage, but they lose the road. And then, of course, they lose potentially the greatest home court advantage we would have ever seen in the league, which was in a potential series with the Lakers. It's a hallway series. They would get probably home feeling support for all of their games against the Clippers home, you know, quotes in home and quotes in road. 
And, you know, I felt like that could have been a factor in that series. They lose that as well. So um, I think it's a bad break for the Lakers that the Blazers are advancing, but I don't think it's a crushing blow. Uh, I think if they take care of their business, they should take care of the Blazers, but I do think it's it's going to be a harder series. Pelton, do you have any predictive? Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Arnold. So Pelton, one thing I've been finding myself saying is that a guy like Damian randomizes the series. And I guess it's like a fancy way of saying that when you have somebody that explosive, that in a seven game series, wow, like you never know that guy can win three games on his own and then anything goes. Is there any sort of way to measure, you know, let teams with lesser seedings who on paper don't look all that threatening as a six, seven or eight, but they have that guy. And is there, are teams with quote that guy more dangerous as lower seeds than a, a team with an equal number of wins and losses, but just as more uh, across the board, one through five, not, not as they don't have that explosive dude. You know, I haven't looked at it from that particular lens, but overall, this is something I researched a few years ago. I think it, it was in a case like this where when Milwaukee was, maybe the eighth seed that year when they were playing Boston in the first round and they had Giannis and it wasn't quite MVP Giannis yet, but he was, you know, an unusually strong player for an eight seed. And, uh, the, the way I looked at it was just overall, you know, how important is it to have the best player in the series? And it turns out that that does matter quite a bit, you know, above and beyond just your overall level of performance because of the fact that you can draw more heavily on that star. And that's something we saw. I mean, I think that's going to be one of the interesting you, things. But in the do series. you think they have the best player in the series? I, I don't well, know. yeah, they don't have the best player in the series. I mean, that's, but the, the gap is not as large as it would have been between LeBron and whoever that player is in Memphis and New Orleans. And that was the way I measured it was the difference between those two best players. Uh, not, I think just strictly who had the best one. I mean, I think one of the interesting questions in this series is, you know, so part of the reason stars are more valuable in the playoffs is because you ex can extend their minutes. Blaze has already been doing that with Damian Lillard and with everybody else coming into yesterday's game before the play-in, which doesn't officially count in the stats. They already had four of the top six guys in the bubble by minutes played. And then Damon CJ, I don't think either of them rested in the, in the second half yesterday, did they? No, I don't. I don't know if they came out, but I'll tell you one thing. Nurkic, who's such a hugely important player for them, as you watch, you, you see his impact at both ends. He was absolutely laboring down the stretch in that game. At one point, I think with maybe about two minutes to go, he got fouled. And Terry Stotts took a timeout before the free throws, I think, because he, because uh, like he, like Nurkic needed to breathe to be able to shoot the free throws, and he ended up splitting them. Um, and I was thinking to myself – you know, they, they better win this game because if they don't coming back the next day, I, you know, that advantage swings to Memphis, who's younger. Um, but, um, you know, this series kind of is reminiscent of the last time the Lakers were the number one seed, which was 10 years ago in 2010, um, when they played the Thunder in the first round. And, uh, that was Durant and uh, Russell Westbrook's sort of first four right now. McCollum and, and uh, Dame are much more experienced, but it's sort of, you know, you go back and look at the Thunder and you see the talent that they had, and that was not exactly a, a, a classic, you know, one versus eight matchup. And Durant had a couple of big games in that series, and the, the Thunder, um, uh, you know, won game three and four to, and, and made them go to six. And then, Game six was a was a war. I think 
the Lakers won by one or two. Kobe had a big game. Um, but that was one of those things where it's like, boy, that did not feel like a 1-8 series. And maybe that's what we're headed for here. Uh, you know, ultimately, it didn't you know, keep the Lakers from getting to where they needed to go. But it's an interesting thing over the next seven to ten days um, to see how the Lakers, who haven't been playing their best, go up against a team that has been playing near its best. And I think that's a, a fair thing to look at. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is, all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So uh, the first game out of the shoot on Monday is Jazz Nuggets, um, the three versus the six. Um, it has been argued by many that the Jazz manipulated things to get themselves into this six seed. Um, they preferred this matchup. They didn't want uh, the Rockets. They didn't want the Clippers. Um, but they are at a bit of a disadvantage because Already without um, Boyan Bogdanovich because he had wrist surgery, uh, Mike Conley uh, left the bubble on Sunday to go uh, to Ohio for the birth of his son. Um, I have no idea how long he's going to need and want to stay with his newborn, but you know there's a good chance he's going to miss potentially three or four games here. Um, the Jazz have already sort of been up and down here as they've been sitting players, and 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 Donovan Mitchell was, was nicked up for a bit. Um, Pelton, do you think the Jazz have a chance in this series? I I still think the chances are probably a little bit underrated in this series. The Conley injury makes it, or not injury, absence makes it much more difficult. I mean, one of the notes I have in my playoff preview that uh, should be up by the time this podcast comes out is that if you look at the seeding games, if you take the five players who started for Utah in those games without not counting Bogdanovich, so counting O'Neal and Ingles both as starters, with at least four of those guys on the court, they outscored opponents by 16.5 points per 100 possessions. And you might be wondering how'd they do that when they struggled so badly in these seeding games. And the answer is when we go take at least th- two of those guys off the court, so three or fewer starters on the court, Utah was minus 13.7 per 100 possessions. So that's a spread of basically 30 points. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty enormous swing. And so obviously in the seeding games, they played about twice as many minutes with three or fewer as they did with four or five. Uh, 
that balance evens up when they're at full strength in the playoffs. But now with Conley, again, it's it's one less of those guys. I mean, they basically have, you know, Tony Bradley has, has really emerged as a solid backup center. So maybe you can say him and Clarkson off the bench, they have six guys you can trust right now. And then everything else after that is a question. I, that may be unfair to George Niang, but, you know, they, they're, they're running out of guys, basically. You think this will be interesting? So, Kevin, are you rushing home to make sure you see this one? I mean, I think I think the Bogdanovich absence is huge. I, I mean, so basically, the Jazz have been this, I think, really nice story the last few years. That you know, they lose Gordon Hayward, and they, they you know they they nab actually from Denver actually uh, Donovan Mitchell in the draft. So their their, their rebuild is is accelerated, uh, and, and they're just this resourceful team. They don't have a lot of shot creation, but wow, guys cutting here and there, and they're going to manufacture some buckets. And Gobert's going to going to do his thing. And yeah, they have a traditional four in favors, and but we're going to you know we're going to kind of this team is going to morph over time. And and Bogdanovich was a huge part of they're playing really well at long stretches this season. And why? Because there's a six, eight guy standing out there hitting 41% of his three pointers at high volume. And for the first time, I feel like in years with Quinn Snyder, just, you know, I mean, it was like blood from a stone getting kind of really a lot of space on that floor for a few years. They had a guy who stretched the floor. It gave Mitchell more room to drive. Um, they can play more unconventional lineups or more modern lineups. And, that guy gone, I know he's not a household name. I just feel like it really constricts them again. I mean, yeah, they're going to get, they, they have a couple different guys who, who, who can initiate off the dribble, like Ingles can, is a good pick and roll player, but it's just, they're back to sort of, uh, we'll find something that works here. And, and I, I think it's a big blow for them. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they're playing a team that, is, that has had a, a lot of challenges themselves. So you're not going to see the, uh, the Nuggets um, wipe any tears away. But the one thing that's happened with the Nuggets is they have really developed their depth, in my view, um, in this bubble. I mean, um, you know, they they have issues defensively. You know, about one time every, what would you say, about 13 to 17 days during the, during the season, Michael Malone has some sort of stage of a meltdown about their defense and like rips the heck out of them. I mean, he's actually been the most quotable coach, um, you know, during, since the return, he said some amazing things about his team. Uh, basically it's been anything to, 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 to avoid talking about all the guys that they didn't have, but he, he routinely rips his team's defense. The other day he said that, um, his team's three point defense was comical. Um, uh, but that like, doesn't even rank in the top 15 of the stuff he said, um, uh, I guess he's like, the, like, like he's putting their film to yakety sacks or something. Yeah, like that's what he's saying. But he, he he's he doesn't say it with a smile. He's usually very angry. Um, so the thing is, like uh, Michael Porter Jr. made second team all bubble, um, which is, you know, a huge thing for them. And he was playing bowl bowl down the stretch of games. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether he you know, is willing to play bowl bowl playoff minutes. Um, but uh, they, they still haven't gotten, you know, Will Barton is still technically day to day. And uh, Gary Harris has been dealing a hip and with dealing with a hip injury. And they like are not a hundred percent clear what those guys role is, what their availability is going to be. Um, so, you know, I, I, on one hand, I think it's remarkable that the nuggets are, have 
have gotten themselves to this point playing okay, but obviously at some point they need to kick it into gear and they need to um, have their seven best players that they can. I don't know if, I don't know when that's going to happen, but that is a factor uh, in this series uh, worth watching. We'll see how that goes. Um, two other uh, Nets Raptors is um, also starts on Monday. I commend the Nets for being highly competitive. I don't think the Raptors will have much of a problem with them. I will say um, it is amazing the level of confidence that you hear coming out of the Raptors. Um, it is obviously moot at this point to talk about that organization. They are a championship organization, but it is just so amazing to me having covered that team as they started this run and had multiple playoff failings basically because they couldn't hold their water. If I may just say, they just, they just vomited over themselves in the playoffs. I mean, they had that dubious streak. I don't remember how how long it was where they could never win a game one. They went like decades without winning a game one because they would come into every series with their knees knocking. And now you look at them and they are just extraordinarily confident. Um, everything they do is with swagger. By the way, uh, they lost game one to Orlando last year. Yeah. We're not that far removed from yeah. that. That wasn't oh part god. of the streak, but yes. Oh my God. Uh, I, I believe, right? Yeah. No, a Kyle yeah. Lowry scoreless game. Yeah. Well, they won game one in the finals. <laughs> and game five. Really, so, yes. <laughs> when it really mattered, but they lost game five. They won game oh, six. Game six. I'm sorry. Three. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, I keep yeah. thinking that was a five-game series. I don't know why. Yeah. I'll, uh, what I remember about that night is, you know, there was a million people in the streets of Toronto, you know, getting ready for this win. You know, Durant has a horrible injury. Um, and it is absolutely pouring down rain. Um, and the scenes before the game were just amazing of all the Raptors fans in the pouring down rain. And, you know, normally you wouldn't do television outside in hellacious pouring down rain, but, uh, the producers of, uh, who were on site, you know, in countdown loved the idea of doing the post game show out in Jurassic park with the rain pouring and the Raptors fans celebrating their first championship. They thought it was just going to be the greatest you know, visual of all time. So they've made all these moves to take the show outside, you know, in the pouring rain to do the show. And then the Raptors blew it at the end. You remember Kyle Lowry has three in the corner and it gets partially blocked. And anyway, the <laughs> post game is of an empty, empty uh, outdoor, dark pouring rain. But um, anyway, uh, Raptors are very confident. Um, but the other two series that start tomorrow, uh, both uh, I think should be highly entertaining. 76ers Celtics game one. Um, that is the premium uh, series in the Eastern Conference. If you look at the television state um, uh, schedule, they have them to be on in prime time as much as they can get them to prime time. Um, and then the last game, Maverick Clippers. But um, talk about 76ers Celtics. Uh, obviously, without Ben Simmons, the Sixers' chances take a hit here, or do they, Kevin Pelton? Oh yeah, I think they do in in this case. I mean, you know, like I maybe you can make an extremely optimistic case that gives place with floor better for Joel Embiid, and you know the Celtics don't have a great matchup for him, and he has regularly gotten to the free throw line against Boston. I think that's probably their best chance in this series is if Embiid can get Daniel Tyson foul trouble, force them into their bench at center. You know, create some issues there. Although Robert Williams gave them some good minutes late in the seeding games, I'm excited. They to see really, what he can do they the like playoff. Robert Williams a lot. They, I don't, I, I think Brad Stevens will. He's not afraid to play him. 
Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, what, what they do in those minutes when Embiid is off the court is to me the big question. And what kind of minute load is it Embiid capable of sustaining? He had this sprained ankle last week, came back and played in the last two games. I assume the fact that they were playing him in that game that meant nothing on Friday night, uh, maybe the last game of the, the seeding games, I assume that was just to try to make sure his conditioning was where it needs to be going into the playoffs. But he's always someone who has struggled ramping up his minutes, and especially coming off that injury, like, can he give you 38 minutes a game? And if not, you know, how much are you going to struggle in those minutes that he's off the court because they just don't have a ton of scoring punch? I don't know how they do it without shot creation. And I just don't know, to Kevin's point, I don't know if there's enough to go around. Um, They're still going to have trouble spacing even, you know, yes, Simmons does not give them sort of space and range. They do, but but, but his his sheer speed and ability to penetrate kind of creates its own kind of movement uh, or or space because you just do have to collapse so far on him. And I, I don't know, I just think they're out of weapons. Uh, and by the way, they're, they're still going to be, I think, a pretty good defensive team. I don't, I don't think it's going to be easy for the Celtics to just kind of run and hide in a lot of games. And, you know, maybe this is an opportunity to, to you know, for Horford to make more of an impact. Um, but again, he doesn't just, have a choice. Right. He yeah, he's got to. to. But, but I, I mean, just out in the back court, there just isn't a lot of, you know, we're going to beat you off the bounce, which is just such a, and I'm, I'm not one of these people who believes, oh, playoff basketball is different. It, it's still, the boundaries are the same and the rules are the same and, and the objective is the same. But I do think. Well, we I do, I do think know. it's very different. Yeah, I and think, that, that's I my point. They don't have the personnel to account for that difference we're talking about. Right. I mean, they just don't have a lot of beat you off the dribble. Let's manufacture buckets individually, uh, high pick and roll. Like, like who's going to do that? Well, that's been a whole thing. You know, it's one of the reasons why Horford has struggled so much is because, um, they, they don't run high pick and roll and that's what he does. Um, I will say this, like, you know, there's this, you know, there's this long history of the Celtics struggling with, with scoring bigs, which is a belief that why Embiid will dominate. Um, you know, Embiid didn't actually play that great against the Celtics this year. Um, they played three times. Um, he averaged 21 and 10, which is good. He also, you know, a couple of those, I think a couple of those games, might have been over early, so he shut it down a little early. But he, he only he only shot thirty nine percent from the field, um, and he took a lot of threes. Um, he averaged uh, eight and a half threes per game in those three games, which I think, even though you want to spread the floor um, for various reasons, I I think that's exactly what the Celtics want him to do is just to be out there and not go inside. So it'll be interesting to see if they you know if they really come out with a um, if, with a game plan to force feed them, force feed it down in there, which is what he wants anyway. He's been asking for that, and you know how he'll be able uh, to do that. You know, whereas Ben Simmons, um, you know he, you know he put up pretty good numbers uh, against uh, against against Boston when they played um, eighteen nine and six assists, and you know shot the ball, you know pretty effectively. Shot sixty one percent. Uh, against them. So he was actually, even though he wasn't, he didn't get the same volume, he was actually a, a more um, vital offensive weapon. So it's, it, you know, it is going to fall on, you know, like Tobias Harris um, and, and Horford to spread the floor and give Embiid space to go. Um, you know, Boston you know, has, 
has been playing pretty good basketball and Kemba has, uh, has shown that he's pretty healthy, which I think was their biggest fact, biggest factor coming in. And, um, you know, Brad Stevens has, has made it clear he's going to put five athletes out there and, you know, he will accept it if, you know, if, if the big man, uh, you know, I think they'll, if, if Embiid averages 33 points a game in the series and they, and they win four one, I think they'll never think twice about it. I think that's actually what could end up happening. Um, unless Boston goes into one of their, their funks, which they are, they've been known to do, but, um, I think they're feeling pretty good about themselves right now. Um, but you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what our chances of getting much drama in the East is. I'm not expecting Milwaukee and Orlando to have much drama. I'm not expecting Toronto, Brooklyn to have much drama. Um, We'll see. On uh, you, you, you expect a uh, a hotly contested series between Indiana and Miami, um, but there's some injury issues there on Indiana's side. So you you want you know TJ Warren been dealing with plantar fasciitis. Um, I guess he's been dealing with it for a while, but you know that's an issue. And what can Oladipo give them? His Oladipo's numbers haven't been great. So um, I don't know, but I, I you know there's a hope. Trust me, for the from the television side that this series can can be competitive because it's a classic rivalry. Um, I just know that, you know, without Simmons, it's, it's hard. Um, and then we have uh, the last uh, game, Clippers-Mavericks. Um, Luca's first playoff game, and it's against uh, Kawhi and Paul George and those guys. Um, Arnovitz, uh, this, is, uh, this is a series we could see repeating itself into the future. Um, maybe later in the playoffs in the future than the first round. Yeah, this is one of those fun series because, I mean, I, look, I think, I think the Clippers are heavy favorites and their depth is just insane. I mean, I was looking at their roster. Like like who, like who the 12th best player on the Clippers would be top seven on, on most of these teams. But, you know, Mavericks, this is a little bit of the 2010 Thunder where, you know, a little ahead of schedule with this young core and, they, and it's, there's a 2-7 series against the Lakers and you know the Lakers of course win it they're the better team and it's the coming out party for for this young Thunder team but but it, it was you know you saw that I think what it Pelton was it like a 4-2 or a 4-1 or whatever it was but but you kind of came away from that series this 2-7 series saying oh that it Thunder was one, team we, yeah we just talked about it, it was 1-8 it was 4-2 it, oh, it was 1-8 I'm sorry I thought, I yeah. thought it was too bad. but my point is, is you came kind of away from it saying okay this is this is just the first chapter and what's ultimately going to be a, a very permanent situation, which is the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to be on your television sets in May pretty much every year. And I just think with Dallas, uh, you know, Luke is so much fun. Uh, it, it's an absolute joy watching him play and he's going to lose. And it is merely going to be fuel for, for as you say, I, I think this might be a really interesting uh, series we're going to see repeatedly in the next six to eight years. And that, that Lakers-Thunder matchup, that was one we saw later in the playoffs two years later in 2012 okay. when the Thunder beat the Lakers 4-1 en route to the finals that year. That was uh, uh, Phil Jackson's last game, right, as coach? Oh, no, that was against Dallas. Never mind. Take it back. Sorry. Apologize. Yeah, that was that was during the... Uh, the Andrew the Andrew time. Andrew Bynum um, shoved... Uh, yes. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Apologies. Yeah, that was during the short-lived Mike Brown era. Uh, yeah, not not that I'm necessarily predicting that in two years these teams will have traded places in the Western Conference hierarchy in that standpoint. But uh, you know, the Clippers are earlier in their run than than the Lakers were that back then. Yeah, this seems like the worst possible matchup for the Mavericks. I thought they had the potential to be a playoff dark horse because you know they're. 
their performance so dramatically exceeded their record. Uh, they have been cursed over and over again in down the stretch in close games. And as much as that feels like a consistent thing and, you know, possibly a product of Luka Doncic tiring out, the fact is, you know, I did some research into this. It, there's just almost no carryover whatsoever between what you do in the clutch offensively during the regular season and what you do in the clutch offensively in the playoffs, because the latter is just so random. The former is already pretty random, but at least you've got an 82 game sample. Uh, if it's like a seven game sample, it gets increasingly random, but this is a matchup that they seem to be drawing dead in the Clippers swept the season series or kept them at arm's length pretty much the entire time. There was a game they played, I think in February or March, not long before the shutdown where the Clippers pretty comfortably won in Dallas and then did the same thing during the seeding games, uh, even though that they were at that point shorthanded without Patrick Beverly and without Montrezl Harrell, who should be back for this the start of this series. Yeah, he so, tweeted today that today was his last day. He he needed 24 hours for to clear quarantine. I don't. I wonder. I wonder if like can you put him out there for the first time he hasn't played in weeks? Can you put him out there in a playoff game his first day? I I don't know about that. But maybe he gets a second unit. I think depending who who else is on the court, you know, you can ease him in there. It's not they're not going to depend on him the same way that say New Orleans was with Zion coming back from his right. uh, his quarantine. But yeah, I mean, you got Paul George, Kawhi, two ideal defenders, size and length to defend Luca. But to your point, Brian, who cares, right? Like, oh, they have Marcus Morris, and by the way, Zubats, who gives them great minutes, and oh, Jamichael Clean Green, if you need that guy. Oh, and Patrick Patterson, you know, right. give you minutes to the like, like this is how ridiculous the Clippers are in terms of depth. Like Montrez Harrell can't play. Eh, we'll see you next week. Like we're fine, we're good. We'll we'll, we'll save a spot for you because we only have a big man rotation that is like 11 deep or whatever it is. Like it's just the team is just stacked at every position and they can morph themselves into a fast team, a slow team, a big team, a stretchy team. Uh, You know, we'll just beat the hell out of your team. And, you know, this is sort of, it, it's one of the deepest rosters we've seen in some time. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the Mavericks is as well known, had the greatest efficiency uh, offense in the history of the NBA this year. Um so they have moments where they look amazing. They, they kind of, in some ways, I mean, it's laughable if you actually go back and watch the video, but the way they play isn't completely unfamiliar with the way the We Believe Warriors played. Um, under Nelly Ball, uh, they would crush the We Believe Warriors, I think, um, <laughs> even as a seven seed, uh, because the game has just developed. But, um, you know, I suspect there could be games where they just shoot their way into a victory. But, um, you know, uh, Don Ch- or, um, uh, Porzingis really struggled against the Lakers or against the Clippers this year. He shot uh, less than 35% overall um, and was uh, negative 9.1 per 100 possessions out there. And when one of your star players is getting outscored by 10 points per 100 or 9 points per 100, that's a that's a key that that's clearly he doesn't feel that comfortable. Um, they put him in position where they take advantage of him with the way they out there, and so that's going to be difficult because you got to play him. You got you to play him, or he's got to figure that out. Um, Luca's numbers, you know, Luca's numbers against everybody were <laughs> were were very very good. Um, uh, but even Luca against the Clippers, just he just wasn't comfortable, and he he was a minus sixteen his plus minus. So like the two guys that are going to get the most minutes, the Clippers found ways to exploit them and their game plans. So um, he did, he had better numbers. He averaged 29, seven and seven, but uh, 
uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Before we go, I wanted to get your guys' um, last comments on the Vladi Divac reign in in uh, Sacramento. He resigned probably before being fired uh, over the weekend, and um, it's interesting we come out, come talking off this off Luca, um, but um, he gave an interview to the Sacramento Bee where he basically said that his relationship with Vivek Ranadive was never the same after he passed on Luca. And uh, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, I remember that night when they made that trade, when the, uh, the Mavericks made the trade with the Hawks and two teams passed on Luca. I remember thinking the decisions that just got made could potentially uh, impact careers. Um, and the first soldier has fallen and it took two years. Um, Pelton, there was a lot of strange things done during Vladi's time and he never got into the playoffs. And I don't know if they're any closer than they were when he took over. Yeah. I mean, you know, he certainly got better over time given the starting point of really kind of not understanding the value of his cap space and the potential of stretching players and the trade that they made with Philadelphia that, ultimately ended up landing Philadelphia swapping up to the number one pick, I think is, is part of the swap rights in that trade. Although it worked out okay for the Kings because that was the pick that they ended up taking deer and Fox with. And that, you know, I think that may be the legacy is in deer and Fox. They do have a guy now to build around. That's a, a better starting point than they've had in a long period of time here. But uh, you know, a lot of people have pointed out, it's kind of funny that, Joe Dumars is taking the reins there, at least on an interim basis. And, you know, if he's sounds if like he's it's going to be a long interim, it sounds like he's going to run the show. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's Ed Stefanski in Detroit. If you're advising the owner on the search for who to hire, well, maybe my name floats to the top of the stack of resumes because <laughs> right, it turns right. out I'm a candidate myself right. to do this. And people have pointed out the symmetry of the fact that both of them made picks at number two, where they appear to have let more talented players go by. Let's say, I mean, you know, Marvin Bagley's fate is far from clear, and it was very disappointing. He had a bunch of injuries this year. He's, there's no, you know, reason to believe that he's going down the same road as Darko Milicic went down. But you know, it's one thing if you do that, and then your team wins the champion your team had just won the championship and then you 
go to the conference finals each of the next four years. You go to the finals the next year. It's a lot easier to survive missing the number two pick when that happens than when that happens and you extend your streak of not making the playoffs to 14 seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, I did I did this big piece on Cousins uh, and just sort of the, the Kings organization in, in general. Um, and this exact, this is quite a few years ago, uh, you know, this one quote I got was, nobody in the position has ever been less qualified, less capable, or a nicer person which is about as damning as an insult can be, or a compliment can be, rather. Um, I, I'm with Kevin. I think he got much better over time. I also think it's sort of another statement about bloodlines. And, you know, like, what is the criteria? You, you have your choice of 8 billion people on the planet to run your basketball operations, right? And so so you're going to weigh, you know, what qualifications you want among those 8 billion. And he played for us and was loved is certainly a consideration. I guess the question is, is, is that the reason you want somebody to preside over your basketball operations at a moment when you've got cap issues and draft issues and everything else. And really you haven't really built much of a culture and you're going into this new building. And, and I just think it's sort of, you know, it, a lot of times it, you, you go to the top and it's not even debuts, right? Like it's ownership, like ownership ultimately kind of sets the tone and, and they're the ones who made the decision. We will always, they will always wonder in Sacramento had six years ago, they decided to go in a different direction. If they decided to sort of strip the place bare, get the mandarins out and just start anew, you know, what would this organization look like? And I, and I think we don't know, maybe it would be the same fate. Uh, how important is a, is a, is a leading basketball executive for a team? I don't know. Is it worth one win, Kevin? Is it worth seven wins? Like over the over the course of five years, is a good general manager forty or or one win better than 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 the replacement GM? We don't know these things, but it is interesting how they make decisions at the highest level in Sacramento, and it'll be interesting to see how they make the next one. Well, Joe Dumars had a fascinating um, tenure in Detroit. Um, in over a three or so year span, he, you know, right when he first got there as GM, uh, Grant Hill asked to to you know he asked for a sign and trade, decided to go to Orlando. He traded him, and he got Ben Wallace and Chucky Atkins in that deal. But Ben Wallace was the was the big one. And then he signed Chauncey Billups, traded for Richard Hamilton, drafted Tayshawn Prince very late in the first round or late in the first round, uh, drafted Memeto Kerr in the second round, um, uh, then later made a really good trade to get Rasheed Wallace. And he had all of these guys. He put He put the entire team together himself in like two transaction cycles. Um, and he went to six straight conference finals, won one title and lost in game seven in another and never paid the luxury tax. You know, not only did he have a great team, they were all on cheap contracts because he had signed them all. And he was just, it was like, is, is good of, uh, uh, you know, without getting super lucky or without, you know, hitting a, a superstar in free agency, it was just one of the greatest builds of a roster of all time. And he that was, was the thing, Windhorse, right? Like, can you name another title winner who didn't have, let's say, a top 15 player? I mean, it was such a gorgeous build. I mean, it was a beautiful piece of architecture. Wait, wait, wait. You think they didn't have a top 15 player? Top 10 or 15. I mean, was there an absolute superstar on that team? An absolute I mean, superstar in his prime. I mean, no, they, none of them have made the Hall of Fame yet. They had as many as four all-stars on that roster, but they, as you point out, they didn't, you know, I think Chauncey Billups would be a Hall of Famer. I, I think Chauncey's a Hall of Famer too. I don't think yeah. Chauncey was one of the, I don't think Chauncey would tell you who was one of the 12 or 15 best overall best players in, in the game. He, but I'm, I'm saying it was just a team. It's something that we always hope every fan of every sort of mid-market team in this 
in this league is sort of like, yeah, I know we don't have that guy, but boy, we can build these pieces and these draft and the cap and we can aggregate the assets. And, and like Dumars is the only guy who really, really, you know, that was why I got all giddy about Atlanta in 15, right? Like those are five great guys on that starting lineup. None of them were a top 15 player. Um, they just weren't. And, and that's what I think was so amazing and brilliant to your point about what Dumars was able to accomplish in Detroit. It was just, it was, and no one had Ben Wallace as being anything other than sort of a, you know, a, a space eating big uh, who could really defend. But like, it just kind of came together and there was never, there was not a superstar on that team. But then. <laughs> yes, last but then. Four, <laughs> but then. His last four or five years, like everything he touched was awful. The Villanueva um, era. Villanueva yeah, he, Ben Gordon. They, he, yeah. He's, you know, he let Ben Wallace walk cleared out a bunch of cap space and used it on Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva in one fell swoop. He, he traded Chauncey Bills for Allen Iverson, um, which was made, made a big splash, but it helped the, you know, didn't really help them. Uh, I would argue, um, you know, obviously had, dra- you know, made the mistake to draft, um, you know, uh, Darko, which, you know, was a mistake. They, I mean, there's still there's still technically because this season is elongated, still technically have Josh Smith on their books. That's right. Josh Smith was one of the last things he did. Um, Wait, he's still on the books, Kevin? <laughs> until the end of the twenty season. Yeah, this is, is the last. Shows. Yeah, this is the last paychecks are coming. He's still getting um, the checks. He's still getting the checks. That's nice. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. Um, he did. He did make. You know, he he drafted. Greg Monroe, who was a good player, he drafted um, Andre Drummond, who turned to be a good player. But yeah. you know, um, he so he didn't like bat zero percent. But you know, uh, it was a rough, it was a rough go. <laughs> um, I, he cycled through a whole bunch of coaches. Um, you know, kept yeah. hiring coaches and then firing them after one year. Um, it was just not a great situation. So you know, it's it's in some ways it's remarkable he hasn't gotten a chance to run an organization since, but in other ways, the end was so unfortunate that, you know, so um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but uh, farewell to Vladi Divac. Uh, it was a eventful, if not successful uh, run as running the Kings. Um, and that concludes our discussion about Sacramento Kings for this year on the Hoop Collective. Uh, thank you to Kevin Pelton. Uh, thank you to Kevin Arnovitz. Thank you to Troy in Bristol. And before we go, I just want to remind you We've got a new show starting tomorrow on ESPN Radio with Chinea Gumake and Mike Golick Jr. It's called Chinea Golick Jr. and it's on weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. And you can also find Chinea Golick Jr. wherever you get your podcast. Check it out. They are uh, very intelligent young friends of this podcast. So uh, thank you for listening and everybody enjoy the bonanza of basketball in the next few days.